Hi, and welcome to Bookable Space, the audio literary salon. Author of Remembered, I'm your host, Yvonne Battlefelton. I'm a writer, host, presenter, academic, and a reader. I love being read to. In each podcast episode, a writer will read to us and answer three questions. We might talk about how they developed the characters, the sense of place, why they wrote the book, something they learned through research, and more. Ultimately, through each episode, I hope to get to know each author a little more, and I hope that you do too. Each episode is about 30 minutes. You'll find the author's bio and a bit about the book below the episode. Thanks for joining in. Hello and welcome to this episode of Bookable Space. I'm your host, Yvonne Battlefelton, and we're joined today by Claire Colorford. Claire will be reading to us from and talking about If You Believe, a collection of short stories. Claire, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Yvonne. Lovely to be here. Oh, it's lovely to have you. I can't wait to be read to. By now, I make no secret that I absolutely love being read to, so I'm so looking forward to this. Brilliant. I just thought we'd dive right in. And I'm going to start with, so I had been reading your bio, and it says that for the book, it's a collection of stories that aims to provide teenage and adult readers with hope, comfort, and belief in all that is possible in our beautiful world. And it's so lovely. And I wondered if you could please tell us a bit about what inspired you to write the book. Absolutely. I started writing the book initially in 2020. During, obviously, um, a time in the world where things were changing very rapidly. And it began as a few short stories that came to mind on a variety of topics, mostly after very long walks in the countryside, which was something I know a number of people were doing at that time. After writing the initial ones, I came to realise that they all seemed to involve an important theme in our current world and certainly the world at that time but that also when I was writing them I was seeking to inject an element of perhaps often surprising positivity and possibility into them. There was much that was poignant in our world at that point in time in 2020. There continues to be and as a person and especially as a writer I'm a very big believer in the power of love um, above all to help and to heal and to uplift. And I therefore developed this idea for a whole book of short stories that sought to seek light, if you like, in the midst of dark circumstances and to show some of the awe and wonder that I still retain in the way many of the children and teenagers and young people that I work with do at the world as it is now and all the potential and possibility for us to create even better than what we currently have and really to bring out the best of humanity. And in most of the stories, that's a topic that is reiterated alongside the incredible power of our natural world to help us all. And I certainly at the time that I was writing a lot of the stories was using that every day as a means of keeping myself uplifted and positive and well. Oh, that's wonderful. Could we have our first reading, please? Absolutely. 
The first uh, reading, Yvonne, is from a story called Golden Stars. My wish is to stay always like this, living quietly in a corner of nature. That's a quote by Claude Monet. She pulled the door closed behind her and tipped out, out into the twilight. The earth was warm under her bare feet, despite it being almost midnight. The air, still and dry, was much cooler than it had been during the searing sun of the day. It continued to carry adequate heat for anyone who had a desire to be out here, under the stars, the whole night long. Looking over her shoulder, there was no sign of visible life in the glassless window of the room beside hers. But low voices told her the people within were talking. Perhaps they were already preparing for sleep. Far away in the distance, tens of kilometres, perhaps hundreds even, specks of red and orange lit the sky for an instant. No sound, yet their meaning was clear. Stay away. Hurrying over to the corner of the fenced-in plot, she bent down to check on the flowers. Moving her hand down the stem from the unopened head to the ground, they felt strong and firm. That was promising. She cupped each of the sleeping blooms with both hands and leant in to whisper to them individually. Dostet darum. Laura, were you out in the night again? Her father questioned her as soon as she entered the small living area in their home the next morning. How had he known? Did I leave footprints on Meadow's clean floor? Flora asked, guilt written all over her face. No. Her father ghoul eyed her suspiciously. You left the back door wide open. His crow's feet wrinkled at the top of his cheeks as he laughed. A deep rumbling chuckle that emanated from the depths of his stomach. Oh no, but... Flora began. It's all right, her father said, bringing the joke to an end, so as to gently reassure her that she wasn't in trouble. There's been something wrong with the door for a while. If it doesn't hit the latch at just the right angle, it falls open again. I'll mend it today. Sorry, Pedal. I didn't know. I just wanted to make sure the flowers were okay. I understand. Her father placed his weather-worn hand on her shoulder. And were they? Yes, she smiled brightly. They're doing well, and I think they might bloom in just a few days. Oh, so how did you choose what stories were in the collection and what might go into another book or another time? This book was a little unique. Um, it's something that hasn't happened to me uh, lots before. But as I started to write the stories, and even once I'd written what I'd say were probably about the first 20, it felt as though it was likely that each of the stories I wrote might be the right one for this collection. 
as I say, it's not something that I've experienced before. It, there was almost a sense of them being delivered to me at the right time over this rather extended period of 2020 and 2021. So all bar one, in fact, that I wrote are stories that then ended up in the collection. A little unusual, perhaps. I found it very, very comforting that by the time I was halfway through, it seemed as if they were coming and they were building a body of work that was what I had determined quite early on was my vision for the work. So what tended to happen is at times I would write a story, think one of them was finished, and then potentially whilst in the middle of another story, an element would come to me that perhaps I could then add on somewhere in a previous story. So they weren't all necessarily written in a linear and sequential fashion. Some of them, yes, and some of them I thought they were finished and whilst working on other stories within the book, ideas came to append to stories I thought previously had been finished, um, maybe to manipulate them in some way, in a way I felt could improve them. But in terms of the content, quite uniquely for me with this particular book, it felt almost as if I knew each story was going to form part of this particular work. So there really was only one I wrote, which I then determined, no, that's that's for a new collection. That sounds really useful. And I love knowing that um, how you would be writing one and then realize that that one was somehow connected to another one. Because I know I was also curious about how you know where in the collection the story falls if they're not connected in some sort of way. So that's just an interesting element. Yeah, it definitely happened in that way. And it would often be, for example, to give one example, um, when researching elements to do with the natural world, for example, a specific story, something may have cropped up that gave me greater awareness of a topic that I covered in a previous story. And it occurred to me that there would then be a useful detail to add or something that might add poignancy or relevance or more emotion. So there definitely was an interconnectedness between many of them. And the research process for one would sometimes even backfeed as well as forward feed into other stories. It is without doubt one of the most enjoyable periods of writing that I've ever spent. And it is my hope that those reading the book will obtain the same level of enjoyment and engagement and uplift of fascination at this world of ours um, that I had throughout the process of, of writing the stories. Oh, how wonderful. Can we have another reading, please? Yes. The second reading is called Feathers Forever. A white feather wherever it may appear, is a sign that a guardian angel is near. Look, mummy, look, pretty. Yes, darling, it's a feather. They're beautiful and they bring good luck. Pick up, take home. Good idea. It obviously meant to find us. At two, Hamish saw his first feather. By five, he was infatuated with them. That first feather that he found on a stifling summer's day in the garden became the basis for one of the wings of an angel. 
He and his mother spent two months creating it together. Whilst taking their daily walks in the long, hedge-bound lanes near home, Hamish spotted more and more of them. Eyes watering from hay fever, he would run to where they lay discarded on the ground or caught on a thorny bush. He insisted on collecting every one. They took his mind off of the sniffles and the sneezes for a few seconds. He had no awareness at the tender age of two, thankfully, that his allergy symptoms were probably worsened by this new treasure. His mother chose to put his happiness before antihistamines. Maybe one day, if he didn't grow out of it. But until then, a tissue and a pot of menthol balm would suffice. They washed the feathers when they got home, spraying them lightly with soapy water, then leaving them to dry on a kitchen windowsill in the sun. The first wing soon reached the size of a sofa cushion. A selection of silky white, sometimes slightly grey, feathers carefully sewn together in the hours after she put her son to bed. At this point, Tanya asked Hamish if he might like her to make another wing, so that there were two, just like on a real angel. Yes, please. We could put them up over your bed so that they keep you safe whilst you sleep at night. Hamish have angel. Exactly, sweetheart, Tanya replied, smiling. One angel was never going to be enough. So, even as the two wings were being affixed above his headboard, Hamish asked if they could make one for Tanya's bedroom too. And then there was one for the living room. Once things were done, Hamish wanted one for each of his two sets of grandparents. And once they were all blessed to be surrounded by guardian angels, the novelty, fortunately, wore off. But only that of angels. Hamish's love affair with feathers had only just begun. Oh, so it's clear what readers might need and receive from the book. And that's because for me, I feel like, yeah, we all need a little bit of hope. What did writing and shaping the collection offer you as a writer or as a person in general? As a person, as an individual, as a human on this planet, it, I think, enabled me to reinforce the nature that I have, which is a nature that tends to seek hope in all situations. Um, and at a time in the world that was challenging for everybody, everybody in the world, it felt that this was a really appropriate method for me to um, keep the faith, to remind myself constantly of the way I like to look at our world, to seek out purposefully light in the midst of some challenging and darker circumstances. So as a person, I think it strengthened my ability to seek hope and positivity and love and compassion, even in the middle of situations that can sometimes make it harder to do that. Um, so I think probably helped me grow as a person in that respect. As a writer, I wanted to challenge myself to try a genre that I had Produced for fun previously, but to produce a fuller body of work. I adore short stories. I've always adored short stories. I love the ability to bring in so many different themes. 
I loved the possibility of writing stories that were set around the world. Um, I found it enabled me to use and experiment with lots of different voices, lots of different narrative techniques. I didn't want each story to be of a predictable and formulaic narrative and voice. So there's a lot of variety in there. And I think it, it permitted me, because I started writing it originally for catharsis and a little bit for therapy, permitted me to be completely experimental. And as I continue to do that, I felt and could see my skills as a writer developing in, in all facets. And that as a creative is a really enjoyable process, simply the process of growth and through experimentation, seeing where that leads and trusting entirely in the process. That sounds fabulous. Could we have our final reading, please? Yes. So the final reading is a story called Wu Wei, which means doing nothing. There is a tide in the affairs of men, which, taken at the flood, leads on to fortune. Omitted, all the voyage of their life is bound in shallows and in miseries. On such a full sea are we now afloat. And we must take the current when it serves or lose our ventures. That's a quote from Julius Caesar by Shakespeare. Sea and sky merge shades from sapphire through azure to deepest navy, making it possible only to guess at the exact position of the horizon. The early moon throws a spotlight onto the rippling surface which shatters it into a million tiny shards of glistening opalite that tumble over the tiniest of waves. An expanse with no end in every sense. The enormity of creation. The epitome of wu-wei. A speck in the furthest distance. Another fragment of broken moonlight. A fallen star. As it rides the water's current, slowly nearing, the billowing of a tiny sail brings forth a boat. Ivory silk, concave in the breeze, effortlessly skimming the ocean's surface atop an unknown depth. En route to who knows where, a destination yet to be decided, but one it is fated to reach. Midnight sky, opaque, the vague outline of charcoal clouds through a deluge that disturbs vision. The sea beset by droplets of ammunition, which leave bullet marks that dissolve as quickly as they appear. A drum set belonging to the heavens beats out a rhythm. Constant, quick, mezzo, the symbols intervening, crescendo until... Fortissimo, the conductor's baton, draws tree roots of electric light in every direction to punctuate the zenith. Nature's symphony summiting. The small sail disappears time and again over waves thrice the boat's height. A miracle 
whenever it re-emerges from behind another wall of water. Thrown, tossed, perhaps tumbling in time with each cadence of its own companion concerto. The final bars of the piece are played piano, pianissimo. The sail gradually becomes visible more consistently until its presence is constant once again. How lovely. So Claire, where can we buy, if you believe? Currently, Ron, you can buy it online in Amazon. And it's in the publishing process, as we like to refer to it at the moment. So it's going to be available in further retail stores of the bricks and mortar kind, obviously, uh, the Waterstones and so on. And it's in the process at the moment, so very soon, it's in the coming weeks, of being available in more online stores, the major ones that people are, are used to purchasing books in. So hopefully within the space of the next three to four months, within all the major retailers, both on online and in the traditional bookshop format. Wonderful. Claire, thank you so much for being my guest for reading to us and talking to us about the book. Thank you so much for having me, Yvonne. It's been wonderful and take good care. Uh, thank you. And you take good care too. Thanks for listening to Bookable Space. If you don't already have the book and want to read more, buy it, borrow it from your local library, read it. And if you enjoy it, review it if you haven't already. I hope you'll join us for the next episode of Bookable Space the Audio Literary Salon with your host, Yvonne Battlefelton. Follow me on Twitter at YBattlefelton, on Instagram on why I write Battlefelton for pictures, interview insights, and more.